I'm Ben, and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone, to the Sound Logic Podcast. And today, we're discussing album number 10 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Albums of All Time list. And this is the album that's called The Beatles, but we know it as The White Album. The Beatles. Have we listened to them before? It sounds so familiar. Spelling's wrong, though. <laughs> Ten albums in. Four Beatles albums. <laughs> yes. Four Beatles albums. Uh, two Dylan albums. Yeah. It was nice of the, uh, the people compiling this list to put some other bands between the Beatles. Yes. Kind of cleanse the palate between <laughs> each one. That's right. <laughs> like a wine tasting, right? Yeah. Yeah, even if it seems somewhat uh, obligatory. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this is... Uh... Oh, geez, I feel like I just want to start gabbing about it, but we we, we got we to gotta do what we do. So I know that you have listened to this album before because you've talked a lot about going through their whole catalog. Right. Uh, any comments on that? Well, I think we've already referenced the White Album a time or two in our previous uh, conversations about the Beatles. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an album I'm, I'm familiar with. I think we both are. And uh, I think it's the album that I thought I was supposed to like uh, <laughs> the most. It's the one that I think I had my eye on for some reason. I don't know if it was... You know, going all the way back to that eighth grade uh, talent show that I referenced a while back uh, wh- where um, my friend Ian would put on Helter Skelter uh, when we were supposed to be practicing. So I don't know, maybe <laughs> there's, there's also some mystique around this uh, elusive cover that's yes. um, just white. I think it's, it, was the, it was a cool album to yes. say that you liked, if you liked any Beatles music at all. Um, it's a little bit out there being a double album and I think that makes it uh, you know more justifiable to to have on a, a list of favorites than perhaps some of the more popular stuff that they release yeah I uh, I want to jump in and say I hadn't listened to this album in, in full before oh really uh, so, no I, I hadn't and again it was like I feel like I heard about this album before I heard about Peppers okay yeah Peppers was one that I really, when I wanted to get into the Beatles, it was one of the first that I wanted to do. Um, and the White Album, I had heard it was kind of like this almost uh, mysterious, enigmatic thing, even that people just always called it the White Album. I mean, I know that's, yeah. you have to call it something, but it was like, the, it was so iconic in my mind. And for that reason, uh, maybe my expectations were quite high. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to foreshadow a bit. I'm going to be a little I'm going to be a little hard on this album and I think for the same reason that uh, maybe I should have been a little harder on the first few Beatles albums we've listened to on this list because this album I think is one that is so iconic, so well known. Yeah. And I I want to talk about why because uh this is something that as I'm listening 
through it, I'm wondering if it's more the prestige of it that has it ranked high. Hmm. Well, we'll get to that. So we'll, I don't want to. Yeah. We'll get. We'll get <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, yeah. but um, but certainly, if you've never listened to a Beatles album ever, you've probably heard of this one. Yeah. It's so. It's just the white. The white. And and one thing I wanted to look up, and I don't know if you did, is this the first album that's just referred to as a color? I mean, I know other bands did maybe self-titled debuts or or albums that didn't have a name Whew. that were just the name yeah. of the band. But, but I want to say this is probably the first one that was just a color. Like though I don't remember any kind of jazz or blues artists coming before it that had, you know, a blue album, a red album. This is, I think is the first of many kind of color albums. And it, it's, it's in a very interesting place because in hindsight, we see that this is, winding down to the end of the Beatles career. I think there's still what two more albums they did after this. They did then they did Abbey Road and they did Let It Be. In terms of their journey as a band. Yeah. Oh, not Journey the Band, that's another band. But their journey, the Beatles, uh this is near the yeah. end. So kind of where where are we, you know, because I I really I really like the help Rubber Soul, Revolver, Peppers kind of evolution. That's where, to me, you see the most change okay. from their first albums to Help. And I think Help is like their fifth, yeah, their fifth or sixth album. Uh, that's the the early sound. Rubber Soul, is, as we've discussed, is kind of the last album that has that very signature uh, perfected early Beatles mm-hmm. sound. Um, and then, and we hear some glimpses of coming into the future and then revolver is the next, the next phase as it were of the Beatles, which leads into Sgt. Peppers where they changed again. Then you have magical mystery tour, which is again, kind of just, uh, unreleased tracks. Really. There wasn't a ton of new music. Then we get into the white album. The white album is again, very different. And we've talked a bit before about the change between being a touring band and a studio band. Yeah. So from, you know, Sgt. Peppers was the first one. Now to this. What does it mean when you're recording songs that you don't have to reproduce live? Uh, that is a game changer yep. in my mind. And we, that definitely shines clear on this album. Not only did they release just a ton of music on this album. we've You and I have asked this question. Why would you do <laughs> that? Why wouldn't you say, hey, let's, let's you know, pick these 12 work really well together these 12 and let's save these for like a year and then while we're still touring we can release that and you know, we've already done the work why wouldn't you do that i don't know Unless i've got a i've got you a just want it all out to there. that but it'll come up later um when we go okay <laughs> when we go to, table yeah, we'll exactly. table it <laughs> do you want to go to some we'll details do you have anything else to say before we, we jump yeah. in here <laughs> i'll say something that's fitting i think already we're showing that this even our conversation about this album is bouncing yep. all around, which maybe is reflective of the yeah. album itself, uh, which kind of kind of does that. Yes, this album uh, was released November twenty second, nineteen sixty eight. It was their ninth studio album, or tenth if you count Magical Mystery Tour, but that was only released in the U.S. Uh, mostly released in the U.S. Uh, written by Lennon McCartney, except three tracks by George Harrison and one by Ringo. And this reached uh, number one 
in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. on their respective lists. Uh, sales in the U.S., more than 12 million copies. Certified 24 times platinum in the U.S. Yeah, so here's the thing. When you have a double album, you get two points in the in the certification ah. so they're, they're 24 <laughs> times platinum even though they've only sold 12 million uh uh copies right. so maybe that's the the oh, genius well, behind the that, double album that makes well, maybe it is <laughs> so was this actually 24 million copies uh <laughs> 24 million discs. albums yeah yeah discs uh yeah 12 million um, of each vinyls 12 million each. Yeah. <laughs> a heap ton and i think that uh without looking back through the notes i think this would rank number two in sales compared to the albums that have been on mm. this list i think the only one that would surpass it would be sergeant peppers which was more like 19 million i mean this one's like 13 plus so uh but both way up yeah. there uh, an interesting note uh, no singles from this album yeah i'm i couldn't figure out uh i didn't i didn't see any rationale for that i don't know if it was because they were just so big at this point that um they didn't require any singles you know they often come out to to get people excited (laughs) about the next album and and maybe they just didn't need that there's also a dynamic the the recording sessions went very very close to the release date and so I'm wondering if the album just took such a long time to get finalized that um, I don't know whether they had announced the release date ahead of time, you know, while they were recording and the recording took longer, but they're recording up through October and the album gets released in November, which just seems to me like a, an insane turnaround time. Um, yeah. You know, how do you release a fast. single if you're still in the middle of recording something that's going to come out in a couple of weeks? Um, so perhaps that's, perhaps that's the reason. I'm not exactly sure why. It's interesting that Revolution was released as a single, but not one of the versions that was on this album. Right. There's a few different versions on at least one of the, the releases of this album. So the one that we'd be familiar with is not from not the particular right. mix of this, of something from this album. And Hey Jude was released as a single, but not from this album revolution was the b-side to hey jude it was released it was uh hey jude was the first thing that was released on the apple records label right that was their record right or their label yeah okay so again just the band just producing a a insane amount of me i mean i guess that's the dilemma and then the solution to that problem just create your own right. label <laughs> if you're producing music but but maybe you have a contract or a touring contract or you know i don't know just you can just do whatever you want when you're the boss it doesn't seem like the decision to move into uh record produce record production was necessarily a great step for them at the time it, it cost them a lot of money um, right i think they had assumed right. that uh, people will buy anything that we are attached our name to, and they they took some missteps in their early releases, yep. uh, releasing music that the buying public did not want to consume, um, even though it came from them. Right. Uh, and there's some some elements of the re- recording production in this album when they were in the driver's seat 
of the studio time and of the production of the album, um, it also meant that they ended up going in many different directions as artists. And I think the biggest weakness of this album is that it's not really the Beatles uh, as a unit. It is four guys uh, being creative in different ways and sort of throwing those things all together to create a, an album. Um, a very different kind of turn than yeah. everything that's come before where, where it really was a cohesive unit of four um, writing and releasing together. Uh, I've, I read today that only 16 of the 30 songs have all four band members uh, in, the, in the final recording. And there are oh, wow. there, and there are stories of well, yeah. uh, John going off to one corner of the studio with a sound tech, and Paul going off to the other corner of the studio and recording separately, recording tracks that they never really intended the other to be a part of, uh, as their artistic visions, you know, are beginning to diverge in this moment. It certainly sounds and feels like that as you go through the album. Yeah, and I don't want to get into kind of the opinion part of it just yet but i will tell even that's the feeling you get yeah it's a go it feels like a long time from the days where every song has like five different harmonies you know a lot of these yeah. songs are solo <laughs> uh singers and it, and if there is a harmony yeah. uh, if there is harmonizing taking place it's often the lead singer harmonizing with their own voice um right yeah much different yeah it, and and many of the songs are not really, I felt, created to be mm. sang along to or kind of even reproduced. There's so many other songs we've talked about, it, these are songs that you could just sing. Um, on the White Album, there's a lot that I don't know if you really want to do that or if that was kind of the intent. It's, it's a very, it's certainly very creative. Uh, and and very diverse, and they do a lot of new and different things, um, but but very sporadic. Yeah. Um, what what other what other notes do you want to talk about about the album? Well, um, there are there are lots of different stories around this time of the band. I, I think this is um, a bittersweet album because of the way that it does feel like the beginning of a fragmentation. This to me is the beginning of the end of the Beatles that had risen to fame. Um, yeah, it is. That's sad. And uh, it's not that the music that they're creating in this moment isn't fantastic. I think, I, I think we definitely could make a case that if we, if we whittled it down to a single album, it would easily be their best album. Or maybe, maybe we'd have some argument about that, but um, <laughs> there, there are at least a dozen really top-notch, fantastic songs here. Um, oh yeah. I, oh, I see what you mean. Whittle it down. Like if we, if we took right. some of the best, it tracks might be the greatest Beatles album. from this album. It, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I still disagree, um, but I see we what you're also saying. get. <laughs> well, we, and we can talk more about that. <laughs> We have to get the first that. appearance of uh, Yoko on this album, and you know she she's pretty. Oh, oh no. no, she is pretty instrumental in. <laughs> I think, depending on how the story is told, of the eventual demise of the band, and uh, so yeah. so there's That's little the inklings rumor. here that that things aren't right 
that they're not all on the same page out anymore. Um, and that's, that's a little heartbreaking, uh, even in the midst of them continuing to make, to make great music. Uh, right. There's a lot of drama happening around the band, prob- probably because of how big they are. The Lennon and Ono get arrested right before the album comes out for marijuana possession. Um, Lennon claims uh, that it was false, that, that they were uh, wrongly accused. Um, but it's... It, yeah, he never had, he never had <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's clear, uh, you know, in hindsight, of course, that... Um, whether or not they had marijuana at the time, they were very much influenced by uh, um, uh, drug usage. Uh, one of the one of the issues that Paul had with the recording session was that uh, John and Yoko were doing so much heroin that they almost became uh, impossible to work with. Uh, you know, just incoherent and mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily all there mentally. Uh, so yeah, it's an, it's an interesting moment in time. The, their fame also comes with the uh, backlash of, of society too. They, you know, they're they're under far more of a, a magnifying glass. Uh, it's the end of the '60s, and politically, the world is really on edge. And the Beatles are writing these kind of quirky, funny songs that don't always make a whole lot of sense. Uh, it's a moment in time where people are being prophetic in their pop music and, and really pushing against the system. And, you know, they're, they're writing about Bungalow Bill and, uh, and you know, these whimsical <laughs> kind of fairy tale stories that, um, you know, just seem out of touch with uh, what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, and, and there are also conservative folks who are angry with them for being so cavalier about things like communism, the, the lead track back in the USSR gets uh, criticized by evangelists as uh, proof that the Beatles are trying to brainwash American youth with uh, communist ideas and, um, and things like that. It's a, it's a really strange moment in time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's lots of other directions to go here as we're getting started. The, the process for recording this album was very different than up until this point. I think everything that had been recorded by the Beatles to this moment was done on a four track recording machine. Uh, this time they used an eight track recording machine and a lot of the, the work was done Hmm. by just hitting record and playing the songs over and over and over again. And then the producers would go and sift through the tracks and figure out what the best one was and then call and then call the artist back into the studio to add in layering. So the band might, or, you know, wow. it, maybe it, it might only be one or two people. Some of the tracks only have, you know, guitar and drums uh, or piano and drums or, or just piano. Um, but they play them, you know, a hundred times and then, uh, and then they, they tinker with it later as they, as they would go. Um, there's a, a track that doesn't even get on the album. Uh, George Harrison wrote a song called Not Guilty. Uh, apparently it was recorded 102 times in these sort of jam sessions and then they never even used it <laughs> so it could have been 31 wow, um, wow. Uh, but very but very interesting and, and you know they're at the points in the their careers where they're really becoming i don't know if i'm out of turn in saying this but they're becoming masters in their industry in a very short time they've done right. so much they've done 
recording and touring and writing and producing and creating their own label like they have mm -hmm. packed it in in you know eight years give or take like tons of stuff so you know that in one sense is incredible and they are very well equipped in the other sense it's yeah. you know it's got to be draining and can cause a lot of conflict you get uh four very talented but very opinionated and strong characters in a room uh mm -hmm. that doesn't always go well and maybe this is as you said mm -hmm. it's starting to break down yeah. we get some amazing yeah. music on this album and i'm not trying to say that we don't but we see some maybe some of the uh, personal challenges of this group starting to sh shine through a bit um something that that is telling i think in the way that the band is dissolving is that the the percussion credits on this album go to uh not only Ringo, but Paul and John as well. Uh, Ringo actually quits the mm. band in the middle of this recording process and forces and forces Paul and John oh, wow. to um, do the drums on their own tracks. He basically is fed up with the way that they're um, working wow. together. It doesn't feel like he's being considered our, uh, for his vision of what the song should be like and walks away. And so... Uh, Ringo, Paul, and John all get percussion credits on this on this album, basically out of necessity. Um, <laughs> and it's not even. It, it, I was surprised wow. to find that. I, I I guess I had assumed that. Oh, you're probably going to be able to tell what the uh, um, tracks are that Paul or John play on, but it's not the case. Paul does the drums on "Back in the USSR," which seems like a really yeah. big rock song, like right off the top, and. So he, he's, he must be pretty good. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it took him 100 takes to get that right. But uh. Uh, one, one final note. Um, Eric Clapton, lead guitar on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. <laughs> Just interesting. And, and then, well, rumors, and I'm not sure if I've heard this, I don't know if you've heard this, that at one point in time when Harrison was considering leaving the band, Clapton was either considered or lined up to be his replacement and i've always wondered what that would have been like whether it would have just totally flopped you know you get lennon and clapton would they have worked well together or not yeah. or would it have been like amazing would it have been the beatles plus like this you know amazing blues yeah. virtuoso kind of thing well, i don't know I, can't. I was about to say while my guitar gently weeps is an incredible song but it was written by Harrison, so oh, yeah. <laughs> if he leaves the band and gets replaced by Clapton, we don't get guitar while well, my guitar gets me weak. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so we I don't. We, we may never no, know what it would have been we don't like get that. If, uh, um, McCartney, Lennon, and uh, Clapton. I'm dying to discuss this album cover. <laughs> uh, maybe we should make this its own episode. Uh, the album cover? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Polar Bear and a Blizzard. Uh, oh, oh, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Polar bears <laughs> and snowy owls. <laughs> um, snowmen. Yeah, polar bear blinking in a snowstorm. <laughs> Is that Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, I think it might be. <laughs> okay, so the on the original uh, vinyl packaging, it was just white and the Beatles wasn't printed. It was embossed. Right. Or stamped in and it wasn't was it colored black or was it just stamped in just stamped in so no no color at all on on the album and that is like 
Is it creative? Is it lazy? Is it arrogant? Yeah, I think it's probably all of those. I think there's something oh, okay. There's something <laughs> kind of uh, artistically clever about an album. You really have to, you know, if you just see it, you have to pick it up and look all over to try and make sense of what it is. That's, yeah. There's some genius in that. There's some arrogance too. Like we're we're such a big band at this point in our careers that we can essentially put our albums in an empty white sleeve and they'll still sell. I know we've talked about before the the transition that the band makes visually. Uh, so you know, almost all of their albums feature the four of them. They're, they're sort of faces, and uh, yeah, and the white album really does mark a shift to something else. Uh, oh, this is the first one that doesn't have their images on it. Yeah, or maybe the only one. I think the only one, unless you count. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour where they're all dressed up in with like masks right but I guess that's still them uh, oh yeah well I never even thought of that this is the only one very interesting yeah uh, and each each cover had a unique serial number on it at least initially initially on the the initial uh, uh, and uh, what I have here in 2015 Ringo Starr's personal copy of number one, zero 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 one, sold for seven hundred ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, not too shabby. It's an expensive album. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's some sort of tongue-in-cheek irony in that aspect of this as well. You know, people feel like they're getting a limited number, but with uh, what is there seven digits? That means. <laughs> It could have gone up to nine million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. So, uh, yeah, a significant number of albums were were made uh, with wow. that serial number on it. Yes, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to list all the tracks? I mean, I don't want to list all the tracks. No, I I don't. I thought you were just right away going to say no. But that's what I. But would here's say. the thing: there's <laughs> so many tracks. Like you know, typically when we get to this point, we say, "What tracks stood out to you?" It's hard for me to know where to begin. So I'm not sure how to do it this time. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, how about some how about some some favorites? I'll go first. I'll go okay. first. I feel like I feel like you want to think about this. I, I just gonna the ones that just just jumped out to me either because they're familiar or I really like them. And there's a lot of like really, really familiar songs. Um, but we'll talk about a few. Okay. Back in the USSR, great opening track. Yep. Boom. Just like right in there. Um, Blackbird, like as soon as you get tired of just playing chords on your guitar, the next thing you want to do is learn how to play something like Blackbird. Yeah. So this is a, a song that every kind of person who played their guitar for more than a year before putting it like under the bed or in the closet this is the song that they wanted to play. Well, and it, it was probably a sign that you had made it to a different level in your playing. I, yes. I can remember our friend Alan Reese McDowell playing Blackbird, you know, one night after picking Sweet Corn and remember thinking, okay, I've got something to strive for. I can't do that. That's the next, yeah, that's, not, that's the next step. <laughs> that's the next step. And, yeah, uh, I remember that too. And uh, I, I have a pretty vivid memory of another friend who I met, you know, first week of college, who was strumming Blackbird, and I thought, okay, this guy's 
legitimate. You know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's that's the the benchmark. That's, that's the benchmark. <laughs> um, I really, really, totally dig Helter Skelter for so many reasons, and I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but saying that at the time whether someone said this or this is just a comment that someone's made at a later date this would have been the heaviest thing that you ever would have heard Mm. they are like pushing their guitars and amps to the max on these sounds like they're just screaming because the the effects when we think about getting into the 70s uh, Zeppelin and then into bands like you know ACDC and uh, Metallica where you have all these effects that make the amps and the cards just scream they were trying to do that here in like 68 yeah. with <laughs> very limited technology and there's so like from the screaming to the to the distortion to the to the the riffs like it is it is way i would say this is like a decade ahead of its time yeah um in terms of the type of song they're making here and i've always found it very compelling yeah um it's unfortunate that you know it's associated with the uh, Charles Manson and the Jonestown murders. I think the redeeming part of that Manson story is that a couple decades later, then on U2's live album, is it Live Under a Blood Red Sky? Okay, so a little uh, insert here. While I was editing, I realized my mistake. It's clearly on U2's Rattle and Hum, not Under a Blood Red Sky but I was convinced of the wrong album. So I apologize, U2 fans. On U2's uh, Live Under a Blood Red Sky, uh, Bono begins a track by saying, here's a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back. Here's a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back. And then the band gets into Helter Skelter. Oh, yeah. Under Blood, Blood Red Sky was the very first U2 album I, I bought. Wow. After having the vinyl version of Joshua Tree. I think I found it in a discount right. bin at uh, Upper Canada Mall. I'm forgetting which store it was in. Wow. But uh, wow. I, I didn't really know much about U2 except for the Joshua Tree. And uh, they play this song that I think I had never heard before. And... You know, as a, right. as a young teenager, thought, what is this guy talking about? A serial killer stole a song from a music group, and now they're taking it back? What does that mean? And uh, <laughs> so it sent me, I, I'm pretty sure that that track alone sent me on this musical journey that I did not expect. Uh, you know, discovering it, I'm sure it was years later, because that was before the internet could have given me the answer immediately. Years later, I hear the track uh, in its original and uh, and sort of draw the lines and connect the dots. Uh, that one yeah. definitely stands out to me too. I, I think the, the, there are a few others, but one I I probably would want to mention is "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Mm. I don't know what it is. I've always really enjoyed, maybe because there's less of them. I really enjoy some of the Harrison tracks. I think he had a very unique style of songwriting, and I found a lot of his songs to be very moving. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I can't really pinpoint why, but I really like this. Um, I also uh, am very familiar because he's a Toronto native on our radio station in Toronto. They often play 
the cover by Jeff mm. Healy, who was a, a, a Toronto-based a guitarist, uh, uh, blind from a young age, played his guitar on his lap, you know, lap style with the hand not around the neck but on top of the yeah. neck, and and just again with the technology has his guitar just screams yeah. um, and uh, he does a really great version of this and if you have a chance uh, look up uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps by uh, Jeff Healy it's a, it's a really neat version I think from the maybe the late 90s that song um, is like melancholy those are, I think, and, some... and sweeping and really beautiful yeah, the guitar is fantastic uh, yeah and it kind of the song kind of comes undone at the end like it kind of unravels yeah. a bit and I, I really, I really like it. There's a lot, of, a lot of good things. So I think those, those are my top tracks. Um, what about you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where to begin? So, any comments at all? <laughs> Back in the USSR <laughs> is just a phenomenal uh, kickoff track. And um, oh yeah, I don't know. Did you go and listen to the Great Albums podcast? Then one of them, the, their special guest actually uh, pointed out that this is. Uh, this is in some ways an album that is trying to pay tribute to different styles of music throughout history and sometimes being really specific uh, back and, and almost making uh, a lighthearted spin on, on something. So back in the USSR is, you know, uh, kind of poking at the beach boys back in the USA Oh yeah, and then that whole that whole bridge section where they, yeah. I don't want to say I don't say mock because yeah. uh, I, I don't think that's fair, but parody mm-hmm. that Beach Boys sound, which is kind of like it's it's a bit of a poking fun, but it's a bit of a tribute too yep. because I know that they respected the and were inspired mm-hmm. by the Beach Boys. I love that, and I often forget about that section. Yeah. Like sometimes I listen to the song and it pops in and I'm like, oh, I forgot that this part was here. Even though I've listened to this song like a hundred times, just so into that driving rhythm of back in the USSR. And then they get into this kind of surf uh, Beach Boy yeah, section. It's yeah. like, it's great. It's really well done. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, the, the jet taking off and landing kind of warbly oh. at the end too. It is a great song. Um, but that, 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 and I want to talk about that jet because that sounds so good. And sometimes I hear it and I think, oh, it's, that's gimmicky and cliche. But again, I'm listening through, (laughs) you know, through my years, 50 years later, um, back then, like it would have been like, uh, not, not novel at all. Like just, just groundbreaking and awesome. So yeah, I I like, I like the plane. Everything is great. So if you've got, you know, another half hour, Go check out the Great Albums podcast and their recent uh, review of the White Album. I think they spend a good 20 minutes right. on <laughs> back in the USSR alone. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the second track, Dear Prudence, really stands out to me. It's a beautiful, quiet yep. song. It's really great. Very um, pretty. Obladi Oblada is uh, a song that my kids know and like and um appreciate yeah. it's just uh, lighthearted and and silly i i think in songs like that i get why uh john specifically is getting frustrated with paul's artistic sensibility because he's making these like <laughs> poppy bright songs um 
while John's heading in direction of like happiness is a warm gun, right? Just dark, kind of like uh, you know downward spiral kind of stuff compared to uh, you know Skippy happy kind of stuff. Um, Cloyingly right. sweet, I think, is what uh, John said of McCartney's songwriting at this point of their. Uh, <laughs> well, and I don't know. I'm not going to comment on how specifically the drug use sure. was affecting Lennon, but uh, it's well documented that he was, uh, you know, using probably different drugs, heroin, uh, primarily, and that's, uh, you know, it's going to fe- affect his certainly his creative mm-hmm. thinking. Um, whether that makes it darker or, or if the downtimes between the highs were very yeah. dark, I don't know. But I think I think I can say that McCartney either didn't use it as much or at all um, at the time. I don't know if I could say that with any authority, but I think probably most authorities would say that Lennon and Ono were into it a lot yeah. more. So maybe that maybe that's the difference there. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get into much into that. Yeah. I don't I don't want to. I don't want to just be negative about it. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, they did what they did, um, and whether that's positive or negative, I I'm not interested in in making that distinction. That the where they were in their lives that created this music, and we have it. Yeah. Period. Uh, and then decide whether that's good or bad, or say, well, well, maybe they shouldn't have done so much drugs. Ah, but then we wouldn't have this. You know what? No, just forget the whole argument. Uh, just, just this is where we're at. This is what happened, and, and here it is. And uh, yeah, that's 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 my feeling on it. I don't I don't yeah. know about your feeling. That's a bit of a sidetrack yeah. from it. But like, but that but <laughs> that's a part of many of these albums yeah. we're going to discuss in yeah, the sixties. Uh, that was a part of it, uh, for for good or for bad, or whether we just at neutral yep. say. Hear the facts. Yeah, and I think, this I mean, happened. you know, th- this conversation really does get at both the incredible genius of the band at this time and, and its divergence. I think uh, as much as I yeah. like Obadiah Obloga, Happiness is a Warm Gun, which I held up in contrast, is also really an incredible sounding song. It's got like oh, yeah. five or six different personalities and moves through kind of phases. Um and it's a really, really fascinating uh, song. Um, Martha, my dear, is a McCartney tune, but it's also kind of minor key and a little bit more melancholy, and and another really kind of hauntingly beautiful uh, track. Um, Piggies is maybe the most political that they get on this album. You know, for a, a moment in time where they're criticized for being too uh, lighthearted and. Uh, fantastical or something here's a, a song that really right. <laughs> that, uh, pushes back on the sort of materialism consumerism that's uh, happening in the world and it's a really a really interesting song that uh, like a lot of their songs you could dismiss as kind of a childhood whimsical kind of sound but until you really look at the, the lyrics and, and begin to make sense of it the, a, a couple more that, that stand out here as we're, as we're moving through. Uh, Why Don't We Do It In The Road is a uh, uh, song that just seems <laughs> really punchy and in your face and kind of silly, too, I oh, guess. Uh, it's it apparently uh, written about two monkeys that he saw doing it in the road. 
yeah in india i was like just literally just about that <laughs> no one no one will notice us because that's kind of what was happening uh that song is like i wish the lyrics were a little more diverse <laughs> because i could like if that was a fully developed fully furnished song it's like it is just yeah. rocking it just it just drives and moves and I love the sound of his voice. It's got to be McCartney, right? Like It's McCartney, um, and it's McCartney on everything except for the drone. Oh, man. Uh, apparently, this was another sticking point for really? him. Um, John thought, this is a song that I should be singing, and you just did all of oh. it. Uh, McCartney <laughs> sang it, did the piano, did the um, guitar didn't leave anything on the table for for john to do uh and it it sounds like a lennon track i think i think there's still Uh, it it does a a little bit yeah they're still clearly on the same page uh you know talent wise and i think are almost writing for each other still even though they're you know in different corners of the studio recording it's really fascinating um that dynamic this track is really you know, just Paul holding up his middle yeah. finger at John. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, you and Yoko uh, but are I, too I mean, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, ooh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. But like, uh, absolutely. Um, I, uh, some others for me that like, there's tracks here that maybe are my favorite, yeah. but are familiar. Uh, like Rocky raccoon, um, is which by the way always makes me think of the raccoons a canadian uh cartoon from when we were growing up me too and why is that <laughs> was one of the characters named rocky what a funny show <laughs> i mean like funny strange yeah <laughs> and nope, i feel like Bert, Ralph. it was a show that i never knew no there weren't any rockies <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why okay anyways <laughs> I feel like I never knew when it was on TV. It was like Sunday evenings. I don't know. I just I feel like I had a hard time catching it. Um, okay, Rocky Raccoon. Like again, kind of a weird yeah. song, but but familiar. And um, apparently, Rocket Raccoon in the comics is based off of this, or at very least, they did some okay. some references to the Beatles uh, in some of the comics as long before the movies. Um, and when I hear uh, birthday, yeah. okay, uh, I don't know about you, but I felt like in the late 90s, sweeping through uh, restaurants all over North America was a fear of, you know, getting sued for copyright infringement. And I guess the copyright had been renewed on yeah. happy birthday. So restaurants stop singing right. happy birthday. But I remember going to many restaurants where they'd like bring out a little boom box and push play and it was this song and they'd all sing along to <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> I definitely went to like a few restaurants where they That's did that. <laughs> and they just kind of dance and like, you know, the waiters are not singing because, <laughs> you know, a lot of people can't sing and don't want to sing in public and yeah. can't really sing along to this song so they just kind of dance around and then everyone claps and they take the boombox away yeah, you know get your cake but yeah we're finally into the second uh, the second album the second disc I guess uh, 
<laughs> and, and we skipped, Sorry, I, and we was, that, right was I supposed to announce that? Side three. Right, we skipped by Don't Pass Me By uh, and, and Julia, um, two songs which also That's okay. I think are really beautifully written, but we don't need to spend time <laughs> with them. Um, Mother's Na- Mother Nature's Son, I think, uh, often gets listed among the, the most beautiful Beatles songs of all time. And uh, definitely one that I am always drawn to as well. Um, one that I was less familiar with, had heard it before, but was, uh, and a great title here, Everybody's Got Something to Hide yep. Except Me and My Monkey. And I remember I was going through some tracks with my wife, Nora, the other day, and uh, I was listing them, and she was kind of, you know, l- listening to them as I was listening to the- listing them. And she said, wait, what's happening? Is that actually the title? <laughs> yeah. And then we played it. She was like, this is great. I want more well, of this. Well, you might remember from several weeks ago when I was talking about Casper Baby Pants that Jonas's favorite song right now yes, is I remember. Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey, uh, <laughs> the Casper Baby Pants version. Uh, the real, the yeah, real version. The real so. version. Exactly. According to them. Go and find it. Play it for your family. Um, and, what a uh, funny yeah. Make the monkey noises along. Um, yeah, like I want to. I want to say. I want to say, yeah. say something here. And, and I know I've alluded to it. This album to me is a bunch of mis mix, yep. mismatched songs. Some of them which are very good, all of them which are very different, that don't necessarily belong together. Some of them hit yeah. and some of them miss. And it just feels, although as a whole it is good, it doesn't feel as unified. It doesn't feel like an album like the other ones. So... Um, Okay, well, so here's a question then. Maybe this is for another time. Okay. Would it be possible to make a 12-track song, 12-track album from these 30 songs that do sound cohesive? Uh, What's the rule for a Beatles album? It's got to have two George Harrison tracks and one Ringo Starr track. (laughs) (laughs) I think the the Ringo track is optional. (laughs) Unless it's Yellow Submarine. Um, yeah, I think if you cut it down to 12, and you, it, there's probably we could probably agree on six or eight. I think there's probably a couple of 12 track albums here. I think that we could make a more John sounding, darker 12 track album and a and a more I think, fun. I think we could make yeah. I think we could make two two good albums or one really really great album. But I think your your point about these songs don't necessarily match. Uh, I think does does move an album from good to great when the songs do sound cohesive. I think it's why oh, yeah. I found myself as we went through the first three being more drawn to Rubber Soul than to Revolver yeah. or um, Sgt. Pepper's because the latter two also have that problem of the songs don't necessarily fa- sound like they fit together. Well, it's that it's a fi- I think it's a fine line between similar and diverse. Yeah. So you want to be diverse, but not too diverse. Yep. <laughs> then you get this. Yeah. You want don't want to be you want to be similar, so it sounds cohesive, but not too similar that it's rep, uh, 
repetitive. Yep. Okay. So I think, yeah, Rubber Soul did that very well. And that's why I think maybe a bit of a difference we have where I like I like Revolver much more because I hear the similarities, but there's so much more diversity. Yeah. Um, however, Rubber Soul is like, you know, is just it's just locked in and, and the songs yeah. are more similar, but not in a repetitive way. So yeah. Right. But I don't know the, this album I have to say is probably one of the most creative. I'd say it's more creative than peppers. Yeah. I, I'd say it's at least more inventive than revolver. I don't know if I'd say it's more creative. I don't think just because you do something that's experimental necessarily means it's creative because it has to be thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have the broad, instrumental experimentation of those other two albums it's a fairly stripped down rock sound most of the time i mean they play a lot with genre but it's mostly guitar bass drums with a little piano here and there um right so yeah it doesn't it doesn't have the sort of overproduced uh you know all kinds of different sounds added in that that those other two albums have and yet it pushes the limits artistically speaking uh, even within that stripped down instrumentation uh so yeah rounding out the track list a uh, few more <laughs> of my many <laughs> standouts here uh i really cry baby cry is an, an another incredible song at least in my opinion and uh and i think we'll leave it at that uh i feel like the last five tracks are five or six tracks are bonus tracks like mm. you have Revolution One, Revolution Nine, you have Honey Pie, which is beautiful too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I just I felt, you know, when you go to Spotify or whatever, you know, you'll get, you know, five different versions of the same album. You get the remastered, right. you get the right. re-release, you get the thirtieth, the fortieth, the twenty-fifth version. So I always try and be careful and make sure I'm not listening to like a bonus track. I try and find the original release yep. if I can. Um, uh, and then maybe later listen to some bonus tracks or some... Even I don't mind listening to it that's not remastered just to listen to kind of the original yeah. unfiltered version. Mm-hmm. But I had to look through a few times because I really thought, oh, are these last bunch of tracks or this just like <laughs> extra extra stuff that they pulled out of you know off the cutting room floor but no this is part of the original release but it feels like bonus tracks to me yeah yeah I can not see that they're that. bad but just just especially revolution nine which is just kind of a bunch of stuff all strung yeah. together is interesting so yeah it was my my reflections kind of on i i often stop it actually mm-hmm. maybe after revolution one i don't i don't always listen to those last few tracks don't hate me no, that's fine. Um, and uh, I, I want to come. I want to go back to one. Uh, Wild Honey Pie, track five. I have skipped this track on many occasions. Okay. It's just like I just don't get it. And if I listened to it the first time or two, just to like, you know, say I've done it, uh, and then I, <laughs> I, I just it's just so just uh, the guitars. Oh, it's and the, weird weird harmony it's it's weird and hey i don't mind weird but in terms of you know coming back to it a uh, uh, returning listen 
returning listener uh yeah no thank you yeah um skip that one so anyways yeah <laughs> i think that's uh that's me for for tracks i mean okay again i'm almost wondering ben if uh we need to start doing like two two episodes for the double albums (laughs) well (laughs) or like uh, maybe this says something about how we value this is number four right in a in a string of double albums but i think yeah we care more about this album than the previous three that have come along and uh you know i had no desire to spend an hour going through the track lists on the exile on main street, for instance. Um, no. And why would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to that album, uh, that episode yet, Rolling Stones fans go back and uh, don't listen. <laughs> uh, type your comments um, yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Cause well, uh, that's done. But I, uh, I definitely yeah. agree that there's a lot of fluff here and, and some of it is the sort of, you know wild honey pie for sure continuing story of bungalow bill i is a interesting song yes. but also it just doesn't i it doesn't resonate with me the way that i um no. think some of the others no. do and and glass yeah, onion is uh, kind of that way too uh yeah so yeah i, I totally get that that sentiment when i was first getting familiar to some of the songs and uh, uh glass onion came on i thought it was uh Everybody's got something to hide. Uh, they've kind of, oh, kind yeah. of got a similar yeah. feel. Um, but that with Glass Onion was another one that I just can't quite place it. It was sort of okay, but sort of weird. But yeah, just a, a lot of just a feeling of disjointedness right. in general, uh, yeah. which is not necessarily bad. But but it's uh, bound to happen when you've got thirty it, tracks. <laughs> yeah. And you know, two kilos of heroin. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, any any personal memories of, that we haven't talked about? Uh, I have a memory that that happened very recently. Um, it's still a memory. <laughs> I was actually talking about this album with uh, with my wife Meredith, and we started talking about. I think because of Glass Onion, maybe we started talking about the whole Paul is dead. Um, oh yeah, and um, there, I guess, is still a, a belief, almost in the same way that you know Elvis never really died, that there are two Pauls. There's the Paul that recorded oh, wow. everything, you know, kind of up until his death, and then the replacement Paul that was a part of everything after. Um, and Meredith and I were talking about the bizarre. Uh, circumstance that it requires of a myth like that to continue on. It would be much harder now when uh, our celebrities are so much in the limelight and everything can be looked up right away. Um, But, you know, what are we talking about here? 40, 50 years ago, um, you know, rumors spread and and spread in a kind of fascinating way. Uh, It, I'm sure it was, aided by the fact that they had stopped touring. So no one, ever, yeah. no one ever saw the band perform and could have been very easy to say, Oh yeah, I haven't seen that guy. Uh, Can you imagine trying to do that now? Right. Like, you know, Katy Perry decides she wants to fake her death and they plan it all out. And then an right. hour later she forgets and, and, tw- and tweets about it, you know, and like, <laughs> and like, no, we said that yeah. you were going to do this. Yeah, exactly. ah, I forgot. You know, exactly. <laughs> you know uh, uh, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's uh <laughs> 
that's always an interesting one. With regards to preconceived notions, I do remember being surprised at just how uh, many wild turns this album takes. I think because I yeah. knew that mm-hmm. I was supposed to, this was the album you were supposed to like, right? This was the, this was yes. the cool Beatles album. I think I expected it to be a lot tighter, a lot neater, a little bit more cohesive. And it is, to me, it's more of a concept album than um, Sgt. Pepper's or Revolver, which both were named as concept albums as we went through their uh, history. Well, Um, but I I guess as we discuss, concept is often synonymous with experimental. Right. But not necessarily a common thread. And I don't, I don't, hear a common thread through this at all right. I, I there are hardly any songs that are familiar other than the ones that are different versions of themselves but i resonate with all those comments you had there ben and i thought it would be better Ooh. Ooh. that word is subjective <laughs> but i i think on the same line my take yeah. on what you said is that i just thought okay this is heralded as one of the best beatles albums it's got to be just knock my socks off really, really good, which can mean a lot of different things. I yeah. understand that, but it was, again, just not as, I didn't think it would be as experimental. I thought it would be a little more polished, um, a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that that's okay. That was just my what I thought it would be. Uh, and maybe that's why I didn't like it as much as I thought I would, because I did have that perhaps unrealistic expectation. But um, it still is, has some a lot of high moments, but uh, sorry. <laughs> that pun was not intended but um no it was it it was I, I guess i thought i would like it better maybe that's what i'm trying to say yeah. i thought i would like it more than i did and i did yeah. like it but not as much of of, of any of the other albums uh, by the beatles that we've listened to on this list and even some of the other ones i've heard that makes sense i'll make a couple quick comments here um Yes, it's dated, uh, even though it sounds so different than so much different than anything else. It's dated, even though I said that some of it sounds, you know, ten years ahead of its time. Like Helter Skelter is just like, yeah, whoa, you know that that became rock and roll, but like a decade later, like that's awesome. Um, but a lot of it is a lot of it. It's just silly, and it's silliness that we don't do anymore. Um, it sounds dated. I think that. Parts of it are, I think the songs that are familiar that are still played are obviously, those are the ones that are still relevant and the rest of it is not. As opposed to some of the other albums, like I'll use Rubber Soul as an example, the albums that are not fami- you're not familiar with, um, when you hear them, you'll still probably really like them and if they started playing it on the radio, they would become familiar. You couldn't do that right. with all these songs. You couldn't do that yep. with you know, wild honey pie or, or some of the other ones, it it wouldn't work. Whereas it would probably work with just about every song on rubber soul or even peppers for that matter. So, uh, I think some of it's relevant and some of it's very dated and some of it's ahead of its time. So it's mixed. It's mixed. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll say I affirm all of that. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I am, it is making me curious now to just looking ahead a little bit down the list here is, um, John Lennon, and the Plastic Ono Band, I'm curious if we will hear some of the sort of uh, silliness of the White Album and, and maybe uh, Yoko's influence of the White Album uh, coming out in that band uh, down the road. But we'll see when we get there. Um, right. I, I agree with you that there are some songs that have really not aged well and some others that just seem really timeless. I think Yeah. 
what's surprising to me, and maybe this shouldn't be surprising, is that the songs that are the most stripped down, where it's a, you know, a singular voice and a guitar or a piano, to me are the, the ones that have held up the best over time. I think it's because it's displaying the songwriting when it's not being carried by instrumentation. Yeah, so what, what do you think? Was this position, this ranking number 10, is that appropriate for this list? Or, uh, okay, here's what I'll say. In terms of listenability, I'd rank it lower. Okay. In terms of influence and uh, its place in the kind of the Beatles catalog and history and just kind of as an iconic album, both in name and in appearance even, um, I, think, I think that 10 is fitting. Uh, yeah. In terms of where it ranks compared to other Beatles albums, again, I would rank this lawyer, uh, lower than Abbey Road in terms of listenability. Um, even Help I like a little more, but I think that is ranked quite a lot lower. So, uh, yes, again, I understand number 10, but uh, I would put it a little lower strictly due to my enjoyment of it, not not necessarily because of how, quote, great it is. So, yeah, I'm okay, okay with 10. You? Higher, lower, same? I would probably say the same thing. Um, I'm fine with the position where it is. Uh, on the flip side, I guess I would I would be fine with it being a couple spots higher. Not uh, mm-hmm. At least one more. At least one <laughs> higher. <laughs> At least one higher. We'll see. Uh, tune in soon. We'll, we'll let you know how we would have reshuffled these. Uh, I, yeah. At least one higher. I, I think I, I would probably put it even a couple more higher um, because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, it still mm-hmm. does get mentioned as like uh, an album bands are influenced by an iconic, you know, even in terms of its elusive co- cover, you know, that has sparked all kinds of stuff that has come after it. Uh, the We did not mention this uh, during this episode today, although uh, I guess I am mentioning it now. <laughs> Um, a couple of weeks back, we, we referenced the Grey album. Uh, oh, boy. When a DJ took uh, tracks from Jay-Z's Black album and the Beatles' White album and uh, remixed them together. Uh, you know, just saying the White album immediately draws you to this band. Something, oh, yeah. as, vague, something as vague as that sentence. And sure. I think that its social impact uh, you know, continues to live on. Even if people haven't necessarily listened to the whole thing, they know what the White Album is. They know that that was a pivotal uh, record. I think for its, um, you know, place in the Beatles canon and its, uh, you know, almost a marker of the beginning of the end for this band, um, all of that means I I would not be uh, opposed to nudging it up a few more spots for for that. But I I can live with it being at number 10 and I think that that decision was sound logic yeah as we go we'll, we'll see how that how that holds up yeah coming up next uh, we'll have uh, we'll move beyond the top 10 to number 11 on Rolling Stone's top 500 album list that is our first compilation album uh, it's called The Sun Sessions and it's a selection of recordings from Elvis Presley all done in the same uh, recording studio and so yeah. it's, it's sort of a greatest hits, I guess, based on a certain era and a certain moment in his career. We're moving on to the King. Yeah. Looking forward to it. We want to say thank you to the, all of those who have joined us as 
special guests offering their voice oh, and yeah. wisdom on the albums we've gone to through so far. Uh, as you look ahead, if there's an album that stands out for you as one of your favorites, uh, get in touch. We'd love to have you as a guest here on the Sound Logic podcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. See you next time. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.